Your suitcase packed. Guess it's time to go. Follow that dollar for a long way down. Power from the poor house door. You either get the hell out of Hades Town. Ain't no difference anymore. Way down Hades Town. Way down under the ground. Hound dog howl and a whistle blow. Train come a rolling clickety clang. Nobody knows where that old train goes. Those who go, they don't come back. They're going way down. Eddie's town, way down under the ground. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 12, 2017. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Hi. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared at fallspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. So I got a chance to talk with uh, Patrick Page, who's uh, just opened up in Hades Town, up at the Citadel in Canada, uh, in Ontario. And so let's take a listen to that little discussion. With us today, we have a very special guest. Patrick Page is joining us by via telephone from uh, Canada, where he is getting ready for an invited dress of Hades Town. Uh, Broadway fans will know Patrick from I'm counting twelve Broadway credits here: Casa Valentina, A Time to Kill, Spider Man, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Spring Awakening, A Man for All Seasons, Cyrano de Bergerac, Julius Caesar, A Christmas Carol, and The Kentucky Cycle. Well, Patrick, that's all we have time for. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're busy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've been very lucky. Thank you. Oh, and there is, uh, as if you listen very closely, is the voice of God there. We didn't include the uh, the voice of God in your Broadway credits there. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun little gig. <laughs> Excellent. So, well, uh, you know what's funny about that is, uh, an act of God was playing on Broadway. At the same time, Hadestown was playing off-Broadway. So mm. I think I might be the only actor who's played both God and the devil simultaneously. <laughs> that is excellent. I love that. So you're back to playing the devil uh, yeah. right, right now up in Canada. And uh, I, I, got, I was fortunate enough to see Hadestown down at New York Theatre Workshop. And... Uh, I mean, wow. I mean, to how has it grown from uh, New York Theatre Workshop into where you are right now? Uh, it's grown tremendously um, in, in so many ways. One, they have added an ensemble of players. So 
now the workers that you used to kind of have to imagine uh, were in Hades Town. You actually, we actually have those workers, and uh, it just gives you know a fullness to all those numbers, and and it allows you to to even imagine more fully what Hades Town is like. Uh, and then uh, the script and the score have been uh, worked on, and the story is now clearer um, and more moving. And, uh, and I think the, the characters, in particular the characters of Orpheus and Eurydice have been deepened. And uh, there's a new design because at New York Theater Workshop, as you remember, it was in the round yeah. and in a kind of environmental thing where we moved through the audience. Here, it's on a proscenium stage. Um, and so you're able to fully see uh, the difference, for example, between the upper world and the underworld, which, of course, when we had a, a single unit set, essentially, at New York Theater Workshop, as gorgeous as, as it was, that's the thing about a unit set. It's one thing the whole time. And now uh, those worlds can be really distinct and wonderful. So it's just it's really exciting. I was a little bit uh, worried because I loved the production at New York Theatre Workshop so much and the kind of environmental aspect of it and the fact that it was sort of in this Greek amphitheatre uh, environment I thought was so cool. And I, I, I really had questions about whether or not moving it into a proscenium uh, type event would be a, a good move, but I've been completely convinced by the creative team and the work they've done. It's quite extraordinary. So the theater you're up at is uh, Citadel, is that correct? Yeah, the Citadel Theater. The yeah. Citadel Theater in uh, Alberta. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, you mentioned it's a proscenium stage. How many seats approximately is it? I think it's about 700 seats here. Uh-huh. And uh, do you feel like um, perhaps this is a great stepping stone to coming back to New York? Yeah, I think that's the idea. Um, certainly, if I had the money, I would invest in it. I was, <laughs> I was uh, uh, sitting out watching the show, and I was just gobsmacked. I was like, this is exactly the work I want to see on Broadway. Um, it, the depth of the themes, the score, every song. Here's how you know you're in a good musical. I'm at the gym listening to the cast album of my own show because <laughs> I like the music that much. And I'm having to hear the music eight hours a day in rehearsal, and yet I listen to it on my day off. I thought, okay, that, this is a good score then, um, which is how I fell in love with it in the first place was through the concept album. Let's talk a little bit about the cast recording, which has uh, been released over the last couple of weeks uh, on Shikaboon. Um, so that it was... Uh, uh, sort of a live recording over two performances, right? Right. Which I think is a really uh, was a, a really smart move for a number of reasons. Um, but in particular with this show, uh, you know, it's got this this vibe of a live event. It's um, it's bluesy and and uh, and a little raunchy, and it feels like you want to be in a club listening to the music. It doesn't sound like most Broadway shows. And so to have the live energy of the audience there, to be able to hear the audience, uh, I think most of my favorite 
albums uh, have been live albums, I realized, that um, Tom Waits' live album, uh, um, the, uh, uh, Paul Simon's live concert in the park. I really like live albums, and um, I, I, I love how this turned out. You've uh, you've participated in a number of different uh, cast recordings, uh, and this is uh, a very different one where you're not you're not going on your day off into a studio to right. get it all done in in one day. Uh, you're right. able to knock that out, but also hard to isolate, uh, and you have so much you know so many different energies involved uh, with the audience feedback at the same time. So. Yeah. Uh, and any mistake you make is there forever. Forever. Unless they can fix it in the studio. So we were all very nervous on the <laughs> night that uh, they were recording. And so uh, I went out and I, you could see everyone in the audience because, uh, you know, it was this environmental thing. And in fact, I was standing up in the audience in the uh, opening number on the night we're recording. And I looked down. And sitting in the chair right next to where I was standing was Stephen Sondheim. So then I was no, I was no longer nervous about the live recording. I was nervous about Stephen Sondheim. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So they, it, it was the two performances down at New York Theater Workshop, and uh, and this has been captured for all eternity. And you know that you know twenty years from now some student is going to be listening at some university and saying, what did they mean by this line? And it might've been that somebody <laughs> made a mistake. Right. Or something. right. I, I think they, I, I don't think there are any of those on there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Our work is so ephemeral. Um, it's like, you know, making a snow sculpture, you have it and then it's gone. And so to have uh, a live album, uh, of an event, an actual night, and you can listen to it, and that's uh, pretty special. Uh, and so, uh, is this your first uh, chance to work with Rachel Chopkin? It is, and that was a big attraction for me in terms of of the project. Uh, I saw Great Comet off Broadway. Uh, I then saw it later on Broadway, but I saw it when it's still in the tent, and I thought. It was, well, it was my favorite musical of the year, but it was also, um, the direction was so magnificent and so uh, outside of the box, so creative. And then I saw other work that she did at Lincoln Center, and every, every time there was just this really uh, distinct point of view. And I was like, who is this director? I got to work with her. So then when I heard that they were casting the um, the New York Theater Workshop production, I I asked my agent to look into it because I I wanted to I wanted to work with Rachel so much. So uh as I mentioned you were uh part of the whole Spider-Man um production uh, where you yeah. guys were very often showing up in Mr. Riedel's columns uh, and now you're, <laughs> now you're showing up these days in Mr. Riedel's columns again for Hadestown it, it, with a whole different other feel. What's it like uh, for 
you know, what is a small, scrappy, young startup production to uh, that doesn't have the big financial backing that a Spider-Man do, had uh, to come in and um, Mr. Riedel say, we think that this is uh, this is something that's vying for coming into Broadway. I hope Michael comes and sees the show because he would love it. Um, and, you know, it's not just me from Spider-Man in the show. It's now me and Reeve Carney and T.D. Um, Carpio. That's true. So it's a whole Spider-Man reunion. <laughs> well, that is great. Before I, I encourage Michael to keep writing about Town every week. Get the buzz going. Get the producers lining up. Well, I think that, you know, you might be uh, far and removed from New York at this moment, but I think, first of all, it's very cold here, and second of all, that everybody's talking about Hadestown, so we're all all very excited about it. It's very cold here, too. It it snowed on, Halloween was our first snow, and it hasn't stopped since. Oh, no. Well, we're going to have to see some uh, some cast uh, snowball fight photos on social media yeah. there. The snow doesn't pack very well. It's nice and dry. <laughs> Good skiing snow on your day. Yeah, off. it really is. <laughs> do, you, do you have a rider in your contract that says you can't ski? No, I wouldn't sign that contract. <laughs> Not because I love skiing so much, but because I don't believe that the, an employer should be able to tell you what to do on your off time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on a flip side of it, off stage, you are a very vocal political uh, opponent to the current administration. Yeah. Uh, what's it like being out of the country right now? Are, are the Canadians all asking you what in the world's going on in, in, in the U.S.? Well, I think, yeah, they are a little bit. I, I think that people outside the U.S., I don't know. To me, it's so apparent. It's like uh, it's like 33, 35 percent of the country has just gone completely mad mm. because the, the, he's so demonstrably unfit for the office. Not just not just has positions I don't like. Yeah, sure. He has positions I don't like. But so did, you know, uh, so do a lot of conservative politicians. Um, but I, I, I can respect them as as people. But the, this man is so crippled by his narcissism that it, it influences every single thing he does. And the fact that people can't see that, I think, is what people outside of the country are so baffled by. They can't understand how you would elect that human being who is, is uh, clownish, cartoonish in his uh, in, 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 in everything about him, in his, his, his behavior, uh, his language, I think, I think people are just baffled by the fact that we did that to ourselves. It's, it's, it's astounding. And did you guys have a, a little celebration in this off-election year when, uh, <laughs> when New Jersey and Virginia uh, yeah. uh, had some big, big victories there? Yeah, I definitely had a, a big celebration because what I, what I observed there was— um, that it, the, I think that so many people thought that it just couldn't happen with Trump. Yeah, Virtually everyone thought that. And so people didn't take their voting uh, responsibility as seriously as they should. And I think what you saw in this last election was people going on, getting to the polls no matter what. 
And there really are more sensible people than there are foolish people. But I think a lot of the sensible people stayed home, and I don't think they will again. All right. Well, let me let you get off to your invite address. Thank you so much. Patrick Page is uh, right now up in Calgary, Alberta, Ontario, um, at the Citadel Theater, uh, performing in Hades Town, which we have a cast recording out by Shikaboom, and uh, we'll have links to everything in the show notes. Patrick, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Orpheus was a poor boy, but he had a gift to give. He could make you see how the world could be in spite of the way that it is. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it like a train? Is it coming? Is it coming this way? On a sunny day, there was a railroad car. And a lady stepping off a train. Everybody looked and everybody saw that spring had come again. With a love song. With a love song. With a tale of a love that never died. Okay, so Michael and Peter, you both got a chance to see what is turning out to be the hot ticket on Broadway right now, The Band's Visit. So Peter, why don't you start us off with that? I hope it's a hot ticket. Uh, It's such a simple-looking show that I wonder if uh, tourists will come to New York and be a little disappointed they're not getting um, what they're getting at the Majestic Theater or the Broadway Theater, Um, those pyrotechnics being a chandelier or a helicopter. There's nothing (laughs) like that. Here it's a, it's basically a unit set. It does turn every now and then, but uh, the physical production is not astonishing by any stretch of any imagination. But um, that is the bugaboo, and uh, I worry about the show for that reason because it is so wonderful. It really deserves to find an audience, and I hope it gets it. What's really impressive to me about the band's visit is that um, a group of people um, who come from Egypt wind up in Israel by mistake. They're a band. They're going to play music. And, well, you know, if you're an Arab and you're in Israel, you might be in trouble, you would think. But that doesn't turn out to be the case, and that's the real strength of this. Because what we learn here is nations may not like each other. Uh, on paper, but if you deal with people one-on-one, they will give each other the benefit of the doubt. Each will Mm. try to be wonderful. Each will try to show that he's not a savage. And that's what goes on in the band's visit. People are just nice to each other. It only is one night they have to do it, to be frank. But still, we get the impression if it were longer, they would do it too. So, a very, very, very impressive musical. Music and lyrics by David Yazbek, one of my favorite people of... uh, who's writing right now any type of musical score uh, it, it may have a problem too because it's not a jukebox musical um i wouldn't doubt that for a second uh, so um no baby boomers are going to come and hear songs like they're going to hear in the upcoming jersey boys so 
uh, Katrina Length is so wonderful as Dina, so wonderful. Uh, a woman who certainly finds herself with a gentleman whose name is Tufig, and T-W-F-I-G, beautifully played by Tony Shalhoub, who is very nervous because he's the leader of the band that's made for Arab audiences and not for Israeli ones. So um, he's very tentative, and he does that very, very well, expecting at the beginning that there's going to be real trouble, that they've really um, stepped into doo-doo with both shoes. And um, that isn't what Katrina Lank has in her mind. In fact, there's even a possibility of romance we see here. But they're there for a night, and uh, you know, <laughs> so nothing's going to happen there. Um John Cariani, who's always so wonderful, uh, so good in something rotten not that long ago, is uh, Itzig. Adam Cant, uh, who's also uh, a member of the uh, band, um, I'm sorry, who's a member of um, the Israelis and uh, is having marital troubles with his wife. And uh, we're going to see what happens there uh, because the romance is gone and she's she's pretty much gone too, even when she's on the scene. So... um, so this is a, a show that um, has wonderful, wonderful music and lyrics, uh, that wonderful scoopy sound. Uh, sometimes it reminds me of Jerry Boxwood to Fiorello. He had this um, angular um, sound to him, too, during those um, funny songs in um, in Fiorello. And w- what's so nice is the ballads are excellent as well. There's one about Omar Sharif, of all people, uh, <laughs> which turns out to be significant because they're looking for touchstones. They're looking for things they have in common. And that's what, one of the great things about this show is that it does show that art brings people together over and over and over again. That point is made. Uh, whether people admire the music that the uh, musicians play and the musicians do play it, believe me, um, or or the fact that they even recognize songs, um, and that brings them together as well. My Funny Valentine is referenced at one point. Summertime from uh, Porgy and Bess is referenced at one point. Art brings people together. Politics can often drive people apart, but not um, when people get to know each other one-on-one. So this is a, a tremendous show. The fact that it's 90 minutes with no intermission might um, very well uh, hurt it too because at today's Broadway prices, their tourists may feel they're not getting their money's worth. But, but, but um, the emotional power of this show and uh, frankly – I could watch shows forever where people are nice to each other. Mm. I love when I see that. I mean, I know drama is made on conflict. And the point is there's no ostensible conflict here. But the point is you often wonder if conflict is going to break out because somebody's going to say the wrong thing. So there's a very strange type of tension in this show that you don't see in many other uh, musicals. So uh, a unique work. And I hope, hope, hope that people do flock to it because it really deserves All right, Michael, what do you think? I certainly hope that there is a place for a show like this on Broadway. And as James mentioned, early indications are that, yes, I loved it at the Atlantic Theater Company last season. I'm so glad it's on Broadway and and it seems to be doing so very well. Uh, I'm glad that it's at the Barrymore, a a theater like the Barrymore. Uh, I don't think they would have ever been foolish enough to try to bring it to someplace like the Broadway or the uh, Gershwin. Uh, It's it's. Perfect, I think, for a for a you know medium sized house like that without a second balcony. Subtlety 
is one of the chief virtues of this show. And I hope that doesn't sound like damning it with faint praise. Some people don't like subtlety. I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> For example, um, there is – you have to look to see any sign of the tension between Arabs and Israelis based on – you know, their, their, their historical differences. Uh, did you even notice, Peter? I mean, like the first time they come on that the band shows up because they've taken a bus to the wrong t village and they're all standing there in their, in their blue uniforms and the, <laughs> a few people are sitting around Dina's cafe and they're staring at these, at these people and like, who are you? But, and if you look closely, you, 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 you might see a, a tiny little, look of wariness on mm -hmm. some of the Israelis. And then there there was also, there is this one brief moment, there's this kind of minor character of one of the villagers named Sammy, played by Jonathan Revive. Um, and he, I think, uh, has a moment or two where he, it looks like he might create a problem. Uh, but that's all it needs is one person to kind of acknowledge this uh you know, this enmity that, that so sadly has existed between these people for so long. And, but other than that, like, as Peter said, it's just a one-on-one -on -one thing. I, I, uh, I began my review for Talk and Broadway by saying it's demonstrably true that people who think they're supposed to hate each other due to cultural, racial, religious, ideological, and other differences amplified by tribalism can actually like or even love each other if they have the chance to get to know each other on a personal basis. Sixty years ago, a groundbreaking musical built around this universal theme opened on Broadway, West Side Story. There are several more shining examples of other great shows that have told similar tales and now we have a new one i i am second to none in my admiration for david yasbeck i have loved all of his scores mm -hmm. um i i hope this is uh his lucky his luckiest shot of all uh the Full Monty is a show that basically is uh, almost perfect as far as I'm concerned. And the only reason it wasn't a bigger hit was mm -hmm. because it opened when the producers did. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was another great score mm -hmm. in a very different style. And, and that show had a very decent run. I, I, I still don't know why that one wasn't a huge long-running hit. Uh, and then uh, Women on the Verge, I think many people agree that the score itself is absolutely fantastic, and it was just maybe some issues with the book and the direction. Uh, so, But here we have David Cromer doing a, a superb job of directing. My only flaw with the show is I thought there were some moments where maybe he went a little overboard in showing how slow the pacing of the uh, villages. There were a couple of times when there were really long pauses, and I and I understand absolutely why that has to be there. I just thought maybe, uh, maybe like you know, uh, <laughs> five <laughs> seconds less here, you know, seven seconds less there. But but anyway, um, speaking of subtlety, Tony Shalhoub. Uh, has always been uh, a master of that in both comedy and drama, so it's great to uh, to have him as. Uh, oh, uh, Peter, I think you're um, misreading the the last letter of his name. I'm pretty sure it's a Q. Oh, yes. Yeah, Tufik, T-E-W-F-I-Q. Uh -huh. uh, and then he and, yeah, this relationship between he and Katrina Lenka's Dina, it's, it's one of the most believable subtle relationships you'll ever see 
in any show, you know, in any play, let alone a musical. Um, and uh, the John Cariani is, is is fantastic, and the the um, you know, it's I I saw. I, I may have mentioned this before. I, I saw this show at the end of a really bad week. Um, I'll read what I wrote here. Uh, I saw the band's visit at the end of a sorrowful and frightening week for New York City and the world in the wake of the horrific terrorist truck attack in downtown Manhattan. And then over the past few days, I've been thinking about last season's Tony winning play Oslo about the peace talks that led to the 1990s peace accords between Israel and the Palestine Liberation Organization. And then last Friday, as I may have mentioned, I was at Geffen Hall for the National Chorale's performance of Bernstein's Chichester Psalms sung in Hebrew, during which the conductor translated for the audience the final words of the last psalm, quote, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen. All of which has led me to wish that uh, people like the man behind the wheel of that truck would spend more time in theaters and concert halls. I, th I think that would do them really that would really do them well to spend more time in places like that because attending great works of art that display the better part of the human spirit is not a cure-all for society's ills but it, it really is an excellent first step this show is um i think a, a minor miracle in the in the way that a a, a smaller a show that's based on people and and real feelings and honest emotion uh, can still be a hit on Broadway. I I think um, you know I mean it's very different from Dear Evan Hansen, but in general in general it's uh, I I think it's there's a comparison to be made in that it's it really is more about people and and how they relate to each other and and communication rather than just pyrotechnics. And, um, you know, I, I also, I, I notice I, I don't think many people have mentioned this, but isn't it interesting that the basic situation is not dissimilar to come from away? Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have these people who are stuck, uh, yeah. in a, in a, in a farm place and, uh, you know, against their will and they just can't get out right away. And you have these other people who open their arms and take them in. It's, um, uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Well, so, the uh, difference of course is that we ostensibly get along with Canada. So, uh, <laughs> but there, oh, yes. it did occur to me, you know, what occurred to me was the fact that both shows involved niceness. And again, it's the reason why I like both shows so much. No, no, of course there are. Yeah, I, know, I know you know that, <laughs> but, but you know, it points up too that as, as you, Peter also alluded to uh, these people, um, Arabs and Israelis, you know, I mean, there is a lot of culture that they do share. Uh, and so to for someone to bring up, uh, you know, the, these songs that they both know and for them to bond over that and then also over the American culture, My Funny Valentine, Summertime. Uh, and, and, you know, another fascinating aspect of the show is th that they don't they don't dwell on it so much, but theoretically, um, the, they are actually speaking. These characters are actually speaking in English mm -hmm. because 
uh, that's the that's the common language that they share. Um, they, uh, you know, whereas the the people from Alexandria would be speaking Arabic, and and the locals would be, I guess, speaking Hebrew. So that uh, so here you have English as a as the as the go between, and 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 it's of course it's perfect because the audience is for the most part English speaking. So that really kind of helps. Um, I, I just love this show. I, I, I think it's going to be around for a while. And, and I, I was so happy when I heard that it was doing well. So let's just really hope that, that continues. So let me ask both of you a question. Um, uh, you both saw it off Broadway? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, were any substantial changes to it or minor? or? There are two um, uh, cast members. Uh, let me just find it. Uh, keep talking. Do we know why uh, they left? Um, do we have any sense whether um, they were asked to leave or if indeed um, the people had other commitments or decided to do something else with their lives? Um, I have no idea. No, I, I, I didn't. I, I haven't asked. Uh, Adam Cantor is the new telephone guy. <laughs> and then and then this really fantastic i just loved his performance etai benson uh is poppy who is kind of he opens the show with um uh, he's i think he's the first uh, one of the locals to sing and what he sing is is uh, you know the light the lights come up uh on this on this this really tiny town where, you know, this barren tiny town and he sings, I'm waiting because that's what we do here. Same as we do every day for something I don't know to happen, you know, just something different to happen. And it's funny because it, it that may sound like something's coming from West Side Story. Yeah. But then but then right after that, Dina, uh, I believe, sings. She explains further. She said, it's not that you think something is going to happen. It's not as if you feel like something is going to happen. You're just waiting, you know, because you don't have anything else to do with wait and you know, except wait, and you know that nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so there is a there's a difference there. Uh let me point out, uh, since you mentioned the telephone man, um, <laughs> that needs some explanation, uh, and that involves waiting as well. There's a young man who just waits by a payphone, just waits and waits because his girlfriend, he believes, is going to call him, and he never tires of waiting. He is that devoted to her that he wants uh, – whether or not she's just interested in him is another story. We get the impression she can't be that interested in him if he waits all the time. Uh, the phone call would have come in by now. Um, the other part of that as well is not just that um, he is waiting there, but he truly, when people say to him, uh, has she called? He always says, no, but soon. He truly believes that she's going to call any second. And um, and that leads to a, a very uh, funny, uh, if bittersweet, confront, um, confrontation. So... Uh, that's the telephone man. Um, it's not like the telephone man in Barefoot in the Park who comes to fix the phone. <laughs> but uh, but he actually, um, in the actual uh, Dramatis Personae, if you will, um, he is referred to as Telephone Guy. That's the name of his character. But just the fact that everyone keeps asking him if she called because everyone cares. And it's, That's really, right. it's really heartbreaking. That's exactly and, right. And we won't tell you if she eventually calls, but this leads to – a beautiful full company number at the end of the show called answer me, which is one of the best songs in the show. And that's, you know, there's a lot of really interesting themes here. I, I think that 
a- anyone with a heart uh, should be able to relate to many of these characters and their situations, even if the outward, uh, even if outwardly they're so different from from many of us. So, um, with a cast like this, the Tony Shalhoub's and Katrina Link and John Cariani's, uh, Adam Cantor, uh, is uh, if this is a long-running show, um, certainly we'll have to replace uh, most, if not all, of the cast at at some point or another. Uh, do you think that it would stand? Uh, to replace these people who are giving such uh, great performances. Well, I you know I think uh, so. The, I, I would say the only one of them who is would be considered sort of a major star would be Tony Shalhoub because of his TV work, and also he fortunately keeps keeps coming back to the stage. I, I just love him so much. He was just perfect for this. Uh, but um, no, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think uh that that's going to be an issue in terms of uh losing a star name or anything like that i don't either and uh, this is a very much of an ensemble show it's very split up um yeah equal slices with a pie so uh it's often been said that musicals uh to succeed must have that one dynamic performance and whether or not that's true, uh, we do have it in Katrina Link, but there's a lot of talent around. I'm not worried about that. And this is nothing against Katrina Link. Um, Theater World Awards this year gave her one. Um, and uh, she's terrific, of course. But uh, I, I don't believe this show will suffer from uh, any additional casting that comes along the way. Uh, on the other hand, I won't be surprised if everybody stays with it because jobs aren't that easy to get. Um and that occurred to me back in the uh, mid-70s when Sugar, the musical version of Some Like It Hot, which starred Robert Morse, Tony Roberts, and Cyril Richard, opened. And then 505 performances later, they were still there. There would have been a time when they would have left after a year, but um, jobs were starting to get hard to get. Um, and so people kept them. So I, I, I don't know if we'll see any uh, cast changes that quickly. Um, one last thing before we move on, on their uh, website, thebandsvisitmusical.com, in the bio section, uh, each one of the actors pulls out uh, my favorite lyric. And, oh, that's uh, nice. And Tony Shalhoub's is, you are the joy, you are the loneliness. Wow, that took my breath away. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move forward into our next uh, review of the morning. Michael, you got a chance to see Junk at Lincoln Center Theater. Uh, rumor is, is this is not Junk. Tell us what you thought. <laughs> well, first of all, talk about, I would say, another ensemble situation. Uh, there are 23 actors mm-hmm. in this show. Thank goodness for nonprofit theater. <laughs> and, you know, I let me say at the beginning, I, I think that um, we cannot praise Lincoln Center Theater highly enough for doing shows like this and Act One and some and you know a lot of these other big uh, plays that they do. I I don't think that even the other I can't think of one of the other New York nonprofits that would take on something this ambitious, this really excellent, unbelievably impressive play by. Ayat Akhtar about the junk bond crisis of the 80s, um, directed by Doug Hughes, directed 
quite spectacularly and very skillfully by Doug Hughes, I have to say. Um, I was conscious of people talking very quickly, but that's, I think, what's necessary here. Um, This is uh, quite closely based on the real-life story of the junk bond king, Michael Milken, here called Robert Merkin, played by Stephen Pasquale, and uh, some of the other obviously real life characters that that are in the show under different names are Ivan Boski here called Boris Pronsky and played by Joey Slotnick uh this insider trading uh snake snake kind of a guy uh and then uh, also in it is basically is Rudolph Giuliani here called Giuseppe Adesso mm. and played by uh, Charlie Semine S E M I N E uh you know the US attorney um and you know it's funny at, at the end of uh at the very end of this play um when the uh Milken character Robert Merkin is is in jail uh not not for very long as it turned out um he um does he he's talking to one of the guards the prison guard and he and uh, about uh um the the fact that the guard uh, he says to the guard you know you could um you know you could buy a home uh rather than just keep renting a place and you know, then you'd be better off and this is supposed to lead to the uh the idea for the the junk mortgage s- scandal which was a later one but anyway um the guard is you know he says well he doesn't really understand it and and uh merkin says something to the effect of well that's how they get you you know people explain these these things to you these financial arrangements and mortgages and bonds and things like that and a lot of people their eyes glaze over and uh, that's how they're taken advantage of because they don't really understand it. I would say that I am basically in those group of people. <laughs> um, so I was a little worried about going to see this play. But I have to say they, that Akhtar does a really excellent job of, of laying it out quite clearly and having multiple characters explain uh, how, how this all happened and uh, how uh, debt – can be viewed as an asset, which is something that, uh, you know, when you first say it, how can you wrap your mind around that? But if if it's explained to you, uh, I guess maybe most of us can eventually get it. Um, there are, there are so many interesting characters in the play other than the ones that I mentioned. There's a woman, um, named Judy Chen played by Teresa Aviolim, who's writing a, a book, uh, planning to write a book about some of these people, and maybe she gets a little more closely directly involved in the story than she should. Uh, Merkin's wife, uh, played by Miriam Silverman, uh, is an interesting character because she repeatedly warns him against getting involved with the Ivan Bosky character, and he doesn't listen, and maybe he should have listened. Um, Merkin's lawyer uh, is played by Matthew Saldivar. It was fun to see him in a, in a different role. I think I've only seen him in musicals before. Um, and then, the, but you know what? There are not, um, uh, like any good play, there are not black and white characters here. Uh, Merkin himself has one or two speeches where he justifies what he what he does and uh, you know damned if you're not going to have moments when you say well you know that 
he's got a point. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, th- this um, – uh, the main action of the plot is that uh, Merkin and, and his people are trying to do a hostile takeover of this steel steel company, uh, Everson Steel. And uh, the, the, the owner of the company um, – it's been a family company for, for decades – is uh, Mr. Everson, played by Rick Holmes. And he uh, – at, well, at the end of the play, he is – it is said that he is a saint – uh, and he's viewed that way by his workers because he actually wills his stock in the company to the workers. So they think of him as a saint. But um, but even he has moments where uh, there are some things he says that are going to make the audience recoil. Uh, the, the play deals with a lot, a lot of issues uh, in in this this world of uh, stocks and high finance and mortgages and junk bonds, it, it, it uh, uh, there's, you see this casual and not so casual anti-Semitism that comes up uh, several times and also racism and not to mention the sexism. There's some, uh, um, you know, I mean, because it's been in the news lately, I guess uh, there, there are some interactions between some of these, uh, old, older, powerful white men, and and these uh, uh, and you know these younger women that that are definitely going to raise some eyebrows. But um, I, you know, I I'm so impressed with the the research that Ayad Akhtar must have done. It it's just like it seems like he knows this the real story back and forth and he really has translated it to the stage very very well and I think it was incredibly smart of him to change the names because you know that happens I, I think we've seen that in several cases recently when there are movies or plays that are based on real life and when the names are not changed um, then those the plays and movies that can be open to criticism as to uh, when the facts don't follow what actually happened. I, I, I recall how some people had an issue with the Scottsboro Boys, which is a great, great musical. But the ending of the story uh, is significantly different from what happened in real life. And I know that a lot of people had a problem with that. Uh, whereas here, I, I guess to me, if you change the names, you can always say, well, it's not actually supposed to be that person. It's supposed to be someone like him. So I think that was a really smart, uh, move on Ayad Akhtar's part and Lincoln Center theater really long. May they continue to do this, this kind of show. I, 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 it's, it's extraordinary. Uh, even the, even the production values, um, the set is by John Lee Beatty, uh, costumes, Catherine Zuber, lighting, Ben Stanton. Uh, the, pro- the projections are quite something by a company called 59 projection, uh, 59 productions. Um, I, um, I think that you have to see this because it's very extraordinary. And I, I'm just uh, uh, so happy that Lincoln center can, I, I, I don't think anyone else, as I said before, could could or would have produced this kind of a play. All right, Michael, I have a question. Um, I don't go for a couple of weeks, but um, um, my parents wanted me to go into business. And as a result, I went to college for business. And out of 526 kids in the uh, entire freshman class, I finished 525 above a kid from the Philippine Islands for whom English was a second language. So... (laughs) 
the question becomes, I've heard that this is a tough play for people to understand if they don't know the machinations of business. Did you feel that way? Yes and no. It's like, uh, did you guys see the movie The Big Short? No. Uh, well, that you know, it's similar kinds of subjects being dealt with. And then also there were the two uh, Bernie Madoff movies. Uh, I think that it's explained really well. Uh, if anything, I think maybe there's – if there's any flaw here, I would say maybe there's too much uh, time spent on the actual explanation of how – how it all happens. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of similar to you, Peter. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, uh, when I, uh, went, I started my, uh, doctorate at, at one point, and I unfortunately didn't finish. But, uh, when I was going to start my doctorate, I had to take the, the graduate record exam, the GRE. Uh, I, I, for some reason I didn't have to take it, uh, for my master's, but when I was going to go for a PhD, they, uh, they made me take it. And so by that point, I had been out of school for many years and I was never that good in math to begin with. And now I was out of practice. So I'll never forget this. Um, <laughs> uh, in the verbal, uh, you know, cause it's broken up into verbal and math in the verbal part of the exam, I scored in the 97th percentile. Mm. And in the math, I was in the 14th. Ah. <laughs> so um, I'm in kind of the same position as you. And, and, I, and I, uh, I did not have a, a big problem with it. I think uh, – I know other people have said that. I, but as I said, I think if anything, they um, – if anything, maybe they over-explain. But, and as also, I also mentioned, they do speak very quickly. Um, I think that that was a very conscious decision on the part of the director, Doug Hughes, and I suppose the actors as well. Uh, but the show is um, – it's about two and a half. Uh, first act was only about an hour, I think, or just over an hour. Uh, second act, uh, slightly longer. So uh, uh, two things that I wanted to mention before we move on. Um, uh, the Merkin that's mentioned in Junk, is that the same Merkin family that sponsored all the uh, – like the Merkin concert hall that's just a block away from Lincoln Center? Well, you know, I <laughs> – I uh, know. I mean, I I was going to actually mention that I I, th I think it's too bad that that they share that name. But this is the whole point is that I think Actar made up a name. Okay, so, so that's okay. that's not that's not Milken, and I certainly don't think he would, you know, intend it to be another actual family. <laughs> well, uh, there is uh, Merkin who was involved with Bernie Madoff that was involved in the scandals. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and and they settled for millions and millions and millions of dollars, and then the, the Merkin Hall, which is just a block north of Lincoln Center, it was uh, was is also that same family. So it's I, I'm interested to see. I have to look deep more deeply into that, and in along the lines of the uh, changing of the names and things like that. Uh, tangentially un unrelated to junk, my daughter has become, and she's nine years old, has become a huge fan of Hamilton. She knows every lyric inside and out. And she came to me a few months ago and she said, is, is Hamilton real? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's real. 
it's uh, you know it, it's based it, it's based on a true true person and you know these events seem to have all have happened you know i, I haven't researched yeah. them and she said well they lied and i oh. said what do you, what do you mean oh. they lied oh. 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 and you know the whole thing about uh, uh angelica schuyler um you know, she's got to make her way because, you know, she's one of three sisters and she's the oldest. And, you know, the lyrics that go into that, that she's got to make her way in society. But in real life, Angelica Schuyler had brothers. And the Schuyler, oh. <laughs> and she didn't have to make her way in society and, and make the Schuyler family wealthy because she had brothers that that fulfilled that role back in, back in those times. And so uh, Charlotte said... Um, said she had brothers and so Lynn Manuel Miranda lied. Uh-huh. And I said and I said, Well, you know, it's theater and they uh you know yeah. might have cut that out just to make the story a little bit more uh <laughs> amenable to what they were doing there. So interesting. All right. Uh Michael and Peter both got a chance to uh to see Stephen Brimberg as Simply Barbara over at Don't Tell Mama. So, uh, Michael, why don't you start us off with that? Oh, yes. Well, I've spoken about Stephen's uh, show on many previous occasions. He's been doing it for years. and But I always go because he always switches it up with new material. And uh, on this occasion, he had not one – he usually has um, – one uh, special guest, but in this case, he had two. Let's see. This show was on Monday the 6th at Don't Tell Mama, and the um, two guests were uh, – he had this guy who was one of the replacements in the lead role of Jerry Mulligan in an um, American in Paris on Broadway, and his name is uh, Dimitri Cleoris. And he did uh, – I'm sorry. Just one second here. I have to get my notes up. He sang uh, as his solo, I Will Follow You from Milk and Honey, which I thought, oh, that's a really nice choice. And then his duet with Stephen was I Have Dreamed from The King and I. And then the other guest was Garen McRoberts, who I think Peter and I both recently discussed because Garen was – Adam uh, and other roles in the musicals tonight, the recent musicals tonight production of the apple tree and Garen's uh, duet with Stephen at don't tell mom was nothing's going to harm you from Sweeney Todd. But then uh, I loved this. And I, and I said this to Garen afterwards, he sang proud lady from the Baker's wife, but he sang the original lyrics, the ones we all know from the uh, cast album, the, the, quote-unquote original cast album and i said thank you so much for doing that because i know that song has been rewritten extensively and i uh, uh, but i always prefer the original lyrics and thank you for doing that um and Stephen was great with both of his guests and uh, and and also in all of his uh all of Stephen's solo stuff it was this was a packed house at don't tell mama it was really almost too packed i felt a little claustrophobic to be honest but good for him uh and i'd like to I'd love to hear Peter's take on it because I, I don't I think that uh, I I don't think he's seen the show as often as I have so I'd love to hear it. I haven't seen it. Period. This was the first time I ever saw oh, it. Really? Uh, oh wow! <laughs> and I was tremendously impressed. Um, not merely because uh, he was very good at sounding like Streisand, but uh, 
when uh, the two guys came up uh, at separate times, of course, and uh, they made a motion to touch her, uh, she backed away. It's like, you don't touch Barbara Streisand. She can touch you, uh, but you can't touch her. So the imperiousness was there, too. He uh, he has some very funny lies in it, too. When you're talking about Funny Girl, he referred to it as my uh, most recent Broadway musical. Well, that's <laughs> true, you know, no, which nobody can deny. Uh, the fact that that was so long ago is, uh, is not... Uh, irrelevant to that statement but what i really loved i thought was so smart which is something so few people do is that the song stack did not include uh every song that streisand has ever sung uh but took on songs that she has never sung at least to my knowledge anyway um and um that's a very wise choice because you see how streisand would approach these songs if indeed she were to do them Stephen told me afterwards when you leave don't tell mama you get to uh talk to the people um who were in the show and i mentioned this fact to him and he said you know i have to say that when i was uh in california uh some of her people were in the audience and they were taking notes and i'm wondering if they were actually saying you know Bob Barbara, this might be a good song for you. Maybe you should try doing this on your next album. So, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, very, very effective in sounding like Streisand. And but the fun of it too is hearing that patter in between, which is just as um, winning as the rest of the show. So I was uh, extraordinarily glad that I went. Um, it was funny at one point. Um, he sang two ballads in a row. Now, this is something technically you're not supposed to do. But then I started thinking, you know, in Funny Girl, she sings two ballads in a row. <laughs> Who are you now? And the music that makes me dance. So in a way, that was its own strange little um, homage to Funny Girl. And um, so a good time was had by all. And yes, okay, this was uh, one night in November. And um, I know he's coming back uh, sometime. But the point is, he does this all around the world. So if you're listening and you have a chance to see Simply Barbara, I think you should take that chance. Uh, and I think you'll find it extraordinarily rewarding because um, this guy has watched a lot of Barbara Streisand movies <laughs> and has listened to a lot of Barbara Streisand recordings. So uh, I think you'll be very uh, pleased by what he achieves. You know, in this show, he had another line, which uh, I think is fairly a recent addition to his show, and I'm sure that you loved it, too. He says, uh, let me make, see if I can do it justice. He says, well, you know, some years ago I recorded um, uh, what was called the Broadway album, and then a few years after that I uh, did Back to Broadway, and then recently I did an album of Broadway duets. He said, he said but, you know, um, you know, so I've rec- you know, I, I recorded Broadway music um, on all of those albums. He said, but, you know, when I started, I, you know, I started out singing Broadway music, except at that time it wasn't called Broadway music. It was just uh, called music. music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that got a laugh because it's so true how, uh, it, you know, as we've, of course, discussed uh, at, at nauseam, it used to be central to uh, American culture and now not so much anymore. But there some signs that maybe uh maybe ch- changing back a little bit uh, so who knows yeah um the, the fact that you mentioned that it was packed uh surprised me a bit because again he has done the show in new york quite a bit so as a result i did not expect it to be as packed as it was i've been to don't tell mama dozens if not hundreds of times and i've never seen a house this um tight so um 
really, there is a fan base here. And under those circumstances, if you do have a chance to see Steven Brindberg, you might be wise to uh, get your reservations in early because if this is any indication, wow, um, there is a demand for what he's doing. Yes. So uh, if you go to Steven Brindberg's website, uh, which I have linked to in the show notes, you could see the schedule of his upcoming uh, performances around the world. Mm-hmm. He it plays everywhere. So that's great. All right. Next up, uh, Peter, you got down to the public theater to see Office Hour in the Martinson Theater. So tell us about that. Well, this is a play where that starts with uh, three people at a table, and uh, all of them are teachers at a college, but uh, one is rather new at it. So the, a man and a woman are telling the newbie about a certain student, uh, Dennis, who is a very difficult kid, and they give uh, reason after reason why this is a very, very troubled uh, young man. And uh, the next scene we see is when she's actually in her office, having an office hour, and it's his time to come in. And she certainly tries everything she can to reach this guy. Um, she tries being nice. She tries being not nice. Anything that, that who knows what key will unlock this guy and you start thinking to yourself well this isn't going to be very demanding a role for this uh, young gentleman because he's not saying a word no matter what she says he doesn't say a word the scene ends with a big surprise a big surprise uh, which turns out to be even more surprising in the next scene when you find out that you've essentially there's a negative feeling to this word but I'll use it anyway bilked um I don't mean that in the worst sense of the word, in the sense that you feel cheated. I understand that the playwright, um, and that's Julia Cho, who's done wonderful work um, uh, off-Broadway in the last few years. Um, The Language Archive is certainly one that um, rings a bell. But uh, there are many surprises along this way which really indicate you can't tell what's going on in this guy's head if what you're seeing is simply what's going on in his head or if it's really happened so uh there are times you'll gasp at what you see because it's so unexpected so that's very very powerful it it's also extraordinarily powerful because uh the young woman who's playing the role of the teacher sue jean kim is so so wonderful at showing how hard a teacher's job is in so many instances. And that's one of the great things about this play. It reminds us that here we are with a woman who's, she tells us, going through a divorce. We know she's not, uh, she's an adjunct professor, I believe. And so, you know, people like this don't make a lot of money. And to have to do that, she mentions the famous expression, it's like pulling teeth. Um, it's like pulling teeth with your bare hands. I mean, not with an instrument, uh, trying to get through to him. Well, of course, she eventually does to some degree, because there'd be no play if indeed um, he were to just um, not respond after a while. One of the things that bothers him tremendously uh, is the fact that he says he's really ugly and he doesn't think he's ever going to have a relationship with anyone. Um, in a way, uh, Ki Hong Lee, playing the role, is miscast because uh, he is a good-looking guy. But, of course, people have different images of themselves than other people do. So um, he's well within his rights to think that uh, he's unattractive. If that's what he believes, that's what he believes. Anyway, 
we really get very nervous when um, the other the male teacher comes in. His name is David, and um, and he just doesn't like Dennis at all, and he makes no bones about it. And you really worry, worry very much that because he's being condescending and mean, um, he doesn't care what the kid thinks. Uh, he's the he's ostensibly the guy in power. If indeed there's going to be a terrible act of violence, there could be because we do find out that um, Dennis is packing heat and uh, what will happen when this guy comes in will he finally crack and pull out that gun and kill him well you'll have to find out by going down to the public theater and seeing office hours which uh, office hour which i do believe is well worth your time so while there is something formulaic about it about the fact that uh, the difficult young student uh, the the trying hard teacher uh, there were so many surprises in it that um, it will always keep you guessing and will always keep you riveted to what's going on. Interesting, Peter. I know uh, one of our colleagues saw it and and basically had a, a lot of really positive things to say about it, but said it was quite harrowing to sit through. It, it doesn't sound like maybe you you quite completely agree with that i don't know what's happening to me i mean you know you know early in the season 1984 but my complaints was it wasn't nearly scary enough you know <laughs> you know so I, I guess i've become one of those insensitive new yorkers who uh, just uh, nothing uh, phases me anymore uh, sure sure there are moments as i say that make you gasp there are you know um but considering what's going on in the real world oh it yeah. isn't nearly as harrowing yeah, that's the, that's the sad part. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, it, Peter, you make it sound as though that maybe the president of the United States would to tweet something nasty to another world leader who had nuclear weapons. Oh, not our president. That no, never happened. Of course. Well, we'll go from that fiction into the wrap-up of the show. Before we get out of here and go on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of Broadway Radio. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn plays us. You can get us at the Google Play Store and anywhere that you can listen to funner podcasts like the Stitcher app. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me, as well as things that we've talked about today, can be found at the show page for broad, at broadwayradio.com as well. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? Yeah, what I asked was a song from a very famous musical mentions members of the military who hailed from Arkansas, Kansas, Maine, Michigan, New York, Texas, and Wisconsin. I gave a hint that the song didn't make it into the film version. What is it? And the song is Rat Tat 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 from Funny Girl, which has Corrine's established that they're uh, from these parts <laughs> of the uh, country uh, before one claims to be Private Schwartz from Rockaway. And that, of course, is uh, Fanny Bryce. And that, of course, was originally Barbara Streisand. And Rockaway, of course, is in New York. So the other one's actually named the States. Uh, this one doesn't. Michael Portantier was the first to get it, although he <laughs> did have an edge by hearing it first when we recorded. You know, so um, if we don't make him eligible, uh, Reed Loveland was the first to get it, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, anyone with the last name of Loveland must know a lot about musicals. Um, but Mr. L was followed by John Baccarella and Kathy Jones and uh, Donald Tessioni, who had a medical emergency this week, but was able to answer the question beforehand. Oh. So, um, 
the new question. What do the late 60s musicals Canterbury Tales, Celebration, and Zorba have in common? Hmm. All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at Um After you handle your medical emergencies, please. <laughs> and yeah. we will get back to you and let you know if uh, you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Living it, living it up. My brother right here, we're living it up. Living it up on The summer went. Oh, I'm just getting started. Oh, the flowers bloomed and the fruit got ripe. Who says times are hard? And the lovers took each other by the hand. Anybody want a drink? And danced underneath the sky. Up on top, we ain't got much, but we're living it, living it up. Just enough to fill our cups. Living it up on top. Brother, press that bottle around, cause we're living it, living it up. Let the poet bless this round. To the patroness of all of this, Persephone. Hear, hear. To the sunshine and the fruit of the vine she gives us every year, asking nothing in return, except that we should live and learn to live as brothers in this life, and a trust she will provide. And if no one takes too much, there will always be enough. She will always fill our cups, and we will always raise them up. Well, come on. <laughs> Let the world we dream about be the one we live in now. <sighs> Cause right now we're living it. Right here we're living it. Well.